Scene 2. The Lake Wobegon Effect. Port of Cayuga, northern tip of Lake Cayuga, in the Confederacy of the Seven Nations. Frigg's Day, Terse. Morning, 24th of March, 1283, eve of the Feast of the Annunciation, New Year's Eve. Hatchoo! A kerchief for your nose, my lord, asks Brother Kirtletuck. The cleric with smart eyes and hard-earned wrinkles digs into his waist pouch for a clean rag. You should tend to that sneeze before it gets serious. It's been bugging you for weeks. Bah humbug, replies the Baron of Amherst as he blows his nose on the friar's kerchief. Though surrounded by a cleric, two sorcerers, a physician, and three heralds, the Baron does not stop straining his voice and shouting out orders. I want those horses and wagons loaded onto the boats immediately! The Baron's chief herald, Sir Sean Madigan, objects. My lord, the camp is rife with disease. Several horses have already gone blind. The Baron of Amherst rages. Don't worry about the horses being blind. Just load the wagons. Two prison guards drag the defeated Frankish viceroy of Vinland, Samuel de Champlain, in chains down the paved path along the lakeshore. A few Frankish merchants peek out from their moored vessels to see for themselves the sad fate of their beloved Uncle Sam. His haggard face, bushy white eyebrows, and scraggly white beard remind them they should have joined the army when they had the chance. New Franklin has recently suffered a total defeat in a war against the English crown, and now it's too late for good intentions, especially where the former viceroy is going. An English knight gives the command to load up the wagons and board the boats, but the bleak looks on the faces of his men spur him to relay their complaints to the Baron of Amherst. My lord, the men are beginning to grumble. They keep asking why they have been forced to rush all the way to this dismal Erokian port on a lake no one has ever even heard of, after we have endured so many woes for you at Montreal. The Baron of Amherst forces a smile on his face. Tell the men that this is Lake Wobegon. Our hardships will end somewhere over this lake. Uncle Sam mutters, more like somewhere over the rainbow. The English knight slaps the defeated Frankish viceroy for his cheeky comment. Weak and maltreated, Uncle Sam stumbles and falls into the lake. The knight seems ready to let him drown, but the water is barely waist deep, and the handcuffed prisoner manages to stand up on his own. The knight complains. Zounds! Am I supposed to fish you out of Lake Wobegon? Uncle Sam replies, Do not ask what you can do for me. Ask what you can do for my country. New Franklin is gone. This is all New England now. You have to stop living in the past and start thinking about getting out of the deep waters. Let every Englishman know, whether he wishes me well or ill, that I shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the revival of New Franklin. Annoyed at his lazy knight and the prattling prisoner, the baron points to the knight and says, I want you to pull him out of the water. Then he points to Uncle Sam and says, I want you to... His violent sneeze sends snot everywhere. Bless you, his entourage calls out politely, pretending not to notice how gross the Baron looks. The Baron resumes his thought and points at Uncle Sam. I want you to keep your mouth shut. Amherst's personal physician, Dr. Estrange, analyzes his illness with the best explanation medieval medicine has to offer. 
Clearly, my lord, those pestilential Quebec marches, along with significant sleep deprivation, have trapped a bitter room in your spleen, ascending into your nostrils. A few leeches in the right places. A few leeches in the right place will clear that up for you. The Baron of Amherst waves his hand vigorously, but the snot still dangles from it as he speaks. Nonsense! It's just a cold! Hand me another kerchief! Amherst blows his nose, wipes his fingers, and hands the slimy kerchief to his herald, Sir Sean, who reminds him, My lord, you were about to inform these troops who fought so valiantly for you beneath the walls of Montreal what we're doing in this backwater village. Not even those of us on your privy council know why we're here. The Baron perks up as he speaks. Ah, yes! Start spreading the news. We're leaving today! Sir Sean's shoulders sag at what he is hearing. He just does not see the sense in it. But we just arrived last night, he exclaims. We're in no shape to leave this morning. Please give the troops a rest. Dr. Estrange adds his objections. The troops and horses are exhausted. You are seriously straining their humors. We must rest, or else disease will defeat this valiant army which the Frankish could not. The Baron of Amherst raises his palm to stop them. I haven't slept more than two hours a night for the last month. My eyes burn, my throat is sore, and phlegm fills my nostrils from dawn to dusk. I'm not demanding any more of my troops than I'm demanding of myself. We'll rest once we reach New Amsterdam. It's ripe for the plucking now. We must seize the day. Dr. Estrange cannot believe his ears. Rest in New Amsterdam? You're going to wake up in a city that doesn't sleep. Ketchachoo! Bless you his advisors say in unison. My career has languished so far. It's time to make a brand new start of it in old New Amsterdam. But it's a mess over there. Ever since Count Richard Nicholas def Ever since Count Richard Nicholas conquered Thane Peter Stuyvesant's Vikings, many lords have been battling to be king of the hill, top of the list, number one. The Baron of Amherst smiles despite his bleary eyes and reddened nose. Exactly. I want to be a part of it. What claim do you have? The king has only appointed you governor of Fort Pitt in Montreal. You missed the conquest of New Amsterdam. We'll be backing the claim of a trusted friend, Sir Samuel Maverick. Sir Sean racks his memory. As I recall, that Maverick is a man who acts with an independent mind. What makes you so sure that as Duke of New Amsterdam, he'll just hand the title over to you? The Baron of Amherst stops his horse suddenly and dismounts. An uncanny silence creeps through the wind as the Baron wheels around to gloat over the prisoner. All eyes fall upon Uncle Sam, the bloodied Frankish Viceroy of Vinland, sprawled across the gangplank. With a low voice, as if talking to himself, Lord Geoffrey Amherst announces, my dear Sir Sean, I have no mind to ask Sir Samuel Maverick to hand over his paltry title as Duke. New Amsterdam means more to me than just another city. It is the start of an empire. In return for my support, he will join those who shall proclaim me the first English Viceroy of Vinland. The Everlasting Plan Viceroy of Vinland? They all gasp at the notion. Hatchi! Bless you, they mumble one after the other, still trying to fathom the Baron's ambitions. The Baron of Amherst continues monologuing away his scheme. 
I wrote to the Duke of York back in February, informing him that Sir Samuel Maverick had taken New Amsterdam from Thane Peter Stuyvesant and his Vikings. In the same letter, I explained that those of us who planned the conquest had always intended to rename it New York in his honor, but that we uncovered a plot by the Duke of Lancaster to use his toady, Count Richard Nicholas, to usurp his claim and rename it New Lancaster, despite arriving too late to aid in the conquest. Sir Sean Madigan wrinkles his brow in dismay. But, uh, my lord, Count Richard Nicholas conquered New Amsterdam two weeks ago. Sir Samuel Maverick is the one who arrived too late for the conquest. Aha! exclaims the baron. That's the beauty of it. Since I correctly anticipated the events, the king will read my version first, and he will read Count Nicholas's version several weeks later. When it comes to credibility, Sir Sean, it's first come, first deserve. That's a dangerous play, my lord. King Eddard Longshanks is very shrewd. What if he discovers your falsehood? When we were boys, we used to steal apples from a farmer. To catch us thieves, he would smear the apples with red tarberry sauce. Since the stain is hard to remove, I noticed this and took a bite from the biggest apple I could find, using only a leaf to guide it to my mouth. But I left the apple on the tree. When the other boys tried to steal apples, the farmer made them turn up their palms and caught them red-handed. He looked at me, but I had no red on my palms. I innocently asked him for the big apple off his tree that was already bitten into. As far as he was concerned, I hadn't stolen it, and it was worthless to him, so he gave it to me. So what's the moral of that story? New York is my big apple. I bit into it before Lord Nicholas conquered it. Good timing combined with tact gets you far in the game of politics. The Baron's cleric, Brother Curdle Turk, scratches his tonsured pate. I don't get it. Hatrum! Bless you, they say with a little more confidence this time around. Listen carefully. King Eddard cares nothing about truth or falsehood. His preoccupation is with finding lords who know how to win. The king feels that his advisor, Earl William Pitt, is a winner. So, when Fort Duquesne surrendered to the crusade, I offered to rename it Fort Pitt in his honor. That was enough to convince the king to name me governor. As governor of Fort Pitt, I had the right to lead an army. So we set out and conquered Montreal. The point is, I'm winning. The Duke of York is a winner. King Eddard will play along as long as we keep winning. Sir Sean Madigan thinks about it for a short while and then squirms. A very good strategy, my lord, but there is one flaw in your plan. Oh, really? Enlighten me if you would, Sir Sean. Although you have conquered several key cities in Vinland, you are only a baron. There are several high-ranking English nobles on this continent who have been equally victorious in battle. Count Richard Nicholas won many battles for King Edward in Welchland before conquering New Amsterdam, and Earl James Wolfe has recently taken Quebec. Viscount Sean Prido is now master of Fort Niagara. They are all stronger candidates for viceroy than you are. The Baron of Amherst rubs his chin and says, All good points, Sir Sean, except there is one item on their resume that makes them weaker candidates for viceroy than I am. What's that? They're all dead. Sir Sean Madigan scoffs at the suggestion. They were all in perfect health last I heard. What makes you so sure they're dead? Haiku! With victory at hand, they died fighting in battle. Trust me, I made sure. No one says bless you.